0: Okay people, so yo, in part three, right, we come with a history lesson for you man And this is some some craziness that I think has been suppressed for years You know what I mean? And it's going to blow your mind It's going to blow your mind So we look at the documentary and then we speak to the architect behind it all. So, hey, make sure you're concentrating, you know what I mean? Put down the dishes, put down the pen, get away from that keyboard. You do not want to miss any part of this one, all right? So let us get things popping. Okay people, so we start off with a really important documentary It is called James Hemming's Ghost in America's Kitchen Okay people, so, yo, last week, right, we learned something about uh, Czech, Czech history I mean, one of the greatest military commanders. And this week, we we learned some more stuff, right? We learned some more stuff because, right, a story is told that it will change the way you look at food. Trust me. Trust me. I know. I know. That's a, a huge statement, but it will. It really will. Right now, people, I oh man had the pleasure of checking out James Hemmings' Ghost in America's Kitchen. Right now, this, this was sent my way by the great AJ Furman, you know what I mean? And as you know, every time AJ brings something to us, it's gonna be good, and this. So fascinating, right? So it is directed by Anthony Warren, written by the great chef Ashbel McLevin. Uh, the film is produ- well, co produced by um, Ashbel and Lisa Fasano. It is executive produced by Jay Burnley, um, Greg Gertmanian, Kelly Ryan, and Warren. um, And it is associate produced by Gloria Lewis, Uh, Ron Granger, and Gene McKee. Mikosoff my, uh, Mikos Mikovsky. Jeez. Yeah, Gene Mikovsky and Ron Granger handled the music. Mitch Martinez and Anthony Wurham handled cinematography. Wurham edited the film. So a lot of hats old Anthony is wearing here. Esteban Granados handles production design. Um, Timothy Day, David Delizia, and Jason Milstein took care of the sound department. Um, also involved was Paul Bray, Bradburn, Tom Frakovich, Tim Hoyenstein, Carla Salas, Xavier Taylor. Yeah, they were all contributing to the documentary. And starring in it was Ashbell himself, along with Michael Twitty, Jax Pepin, Tony Tippin Martin. Therese Nelson, Howard Conyers, Glenn Ellis, Adrian Miller, Lashonda Green, Tonya Hopkins, and Heather Johnson. So that's a it's a mixture of authors and chefs, historians. Now, the gist of the piece, people, is... Uh, yeah, it is this. If you've ever eaten macaroni and cheese, french fries, or ice cream, you've enjoyed the contributions of America's unknown culinary founding father, James Hemings. James Hemings was the first American trained as a master chef. He was also the brother-in-law and enslaved property of Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. As You did not mishear that, people. He was also the brother-in-law and enslaved property of Thomas Jefferson. A modern culinary warrior is determined to tell the greatest American story that has not been told. Chef Ashbell McLevin has dedicated his life to creating fine food and uncovering the amazing story of James Hemings. Chef Ashbell is a familiar culinary TV personality, having regularly appeared on shows like Weekend Today Show, BBC's Good Food Live, right? So he made it across to these shores, um, and Beat Bobby Flay. In addition to opening restaurants in the UK and US, he has founded the James Hemmings Society, which strives to bring America's founding foodie into the light of history. The story of James Hemmings and Chef Ashbell's inspired quest to tell it will captivate foodies, intrigue historians, and give every American a greater appreciation for French fries on their plates. I mean, that, how crazy is that? Right, because I bet you did not know that. Right, he also, um, yeah, I think he brought meringue across the pond. Um, Pavolo, like, what was the other stuff? Um, yeah, because Pavlov is made a meringue, right? That is correct, I do believe. Hmm, I may be wrong, I may have to check that. Oh, mm, definitely meringue definitely meringue, yeah, just a a, a host of different things, right, which is so fascinating, right, now, I, I, I think the big thing is, there are so many, so many of these incidents that just come up, right, about people who have been blinded by history, for whatever reason, you know, we had hidden figures, I think that was like 10 years ago, right, about the, the ladies at NASA. There There's so many stories of, you know, people assuming other people's birthright, essentially, which it is so bizarre, right? And especially, right, you, you have, after, you know, the last few years and all the Craziness that has been going on. You know, people coming out and being like, oh, yes, we must try harder and you must tell stories and we must change the way history is written and talked about and blah, 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 blah. But we still keep on coming across things like James Hemmings because Ashbell does a great job of bringing this to life for us you know it's so fascinating but you have to think to yourself if ashbell could find this information it means the information was you know i mean at the hands of others but no one decided to you know tell the story right it's when You look and you see that there were, you know, remembered during the pandemic uh, and a load of places were taking down pictures of people and going, oh, we've discovered that they've got a bad history and, you know, we're, we're not calling it Christopher Columbus Day anymore and we're not, you know, looking at Walter Riley and we're not doing this and blah, blah, blah. There were certain people, certain figures who they pointed out And were like, yes, we've discovered this person was not good And we shouldn't have their picture up And we shouldn't do this Thomas Jefferson owned slaves Thomas Jefferson lied about owning slaves But no one, no one really talked about that You know? And as I said, look, Ashbell found this information So it means the information is there And I'm sure I'm sure there are a lot of people That knew this But for whatever reason Didn't say a thing Didn't say a thing Right And listen Yes he's one of You know the US founding fathers But Doesn't mean that he has To be Lily White Right when you just think about most people we know, like, everyone's got grime. Everyone's done something that's a little bit like, it's questionable, son, you know? But you, you want to try and pay, paint Jefferson and, and people like this as being these paragons of virtue. And it's crazy. It's crazy. What we learn is that James Hemmings, you know, just I feel he was a trailblazer, you know, because during this documentary, right, as I said, look, they, they, they talk to a number of top chefs, um, one of which is Jax Pepin, like right? who says Hemmings, you know, he 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 was sent to Paris by um Jefferson to train and in that time, in the five years he was there, he became the first, you know, foreign master chef. There is a, there's an actual French name which I I forget. It's like Chef de or something like that. It's not that exactly, so uh, don't quote me. But essentially, it means master chef, right? And Pepin was like. Yeah, it took me a lot longer to perfect those skills, right? And and he's a top chef. He's a huge chef, right? And he just, you know, doesn't need to say it, right? Can just say, yes, he came here and he trained and he did this, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, yo, I didn't, I. it took me a lot longer to learn. A lot longer to learn. So you just think that he was able to do that. It's kind of crazy, right? It's kind of crazy, and and it's such a huge feat. You know, it, it's, it's when you I, I feel it's probably equivalent to someone like BJ Penn, Matt Serra, you know, becoming like black belts in um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, right? Some a couple of the first, like you know, to go win all of these major tournaments and things like that. You know, so it just shows what kind of a person James Hemmings must have been. The fact that he was able to turn his hand to this without, you know, there's no professional training. No, he, no, he didn't go to, you know, cookery school for years and years. He, in fact, was the first person to essentially set up a cookery school. Yeah. There is so much that we learn. You know, Ashbell talks about you know a technique that Hemmings used to create this dish. And when he he, he explains, you know, how Hemmings would have cooked on a fire. On a fire. <laughs> now, <laughs> yo. It is hard enough at times <laughs> you don't know, do cook in an oven or on a hob right where you can turn things up and down. There's definitely been accidents. I mean, you know I mean I'm not trying to say that you know what I mean I am perfect in the kitchen though I will tell you people I cooked. Oh my gosh, I cooked a uh, was it a, a, a chicken? Uh, mushroom and spinach lasagna At the weekend On a Saturday And then on a Sunday I made These Thai fish cakes Yo It's the first time I'd cook these Sort of fish cakes and yeah, They, they were good <laughs> They were good You know what I mean But yo I made mistakes Right and that's using Modern technology So I don't even know it, 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 it cook on a fire? A fire. That's that's some crazy ass shit. Right? That, that you think about how difficult that must be. You know, but Hemings did it. Hemmings did that. Huge. Huge. You know, so it, this is so fascinating. Right. It's so fascinating because we get all of this insight. Right. We learn about the, the, you know, the footprint through history that Hemings must have had. Only lived 36 years, only lived 36 years, but was involved in some of the most pivotal moments, which... He <laughs> is insane, right? It's insane because, as I said, look, he's, he's an indentured slave, you know. But all of these things, there's a part of all of these things. Now, I would say the exact things, but you should watch the documentary for that. You should definitely watch it because, yeah, it, it's really well put together. As I mentioned, right, we get different chefs and, you know, uh, authors all talking about, like, some of these things, right? Some of these feats, what it must have taken, right? The skill, just all of this, you know? Now, also remember, this was a time of straight racism, you know, slavery, <laughs> you know, and right now, you know, even in this current environment, it, it it's not always the best, right, you still get people shouting the N-word at you, right, you still get prejudice in the workplace, still get it, right, in the interview process, in just all of these kind of walks of life. So the fact that Hemings is, you know, living in an incredibly worse time than what we do right now. But still, still really set the groundwork, right? Laid the foundation for so many things. So many things. Stood up to a president right stood up for what certain things he believed in it is it's pretty incredible pretty incredible this is it's a fascinating piece right it is the length is perfect and it it gives you all these pertinent facts right in a way which just keeps you engrossed really does really does this is hell this is something that everyone should watch right there's sometimes these films that come out and people go this film was so good everyone should watch it right i believe documentaries like this are things that everyone should watch right you could put it as part of the school curriculum you know, it's part of the school curriculum, right, it's when you talk about, you know, Black History Month and all of that jazz, which, you know, I've definitely got my views on, right, because I just feel shit shouldn't just happen in a month, right, it should be throughout the year, every day, every day we should be open to this information these facts these programs these talks whatever whatever on everything you know all culture right but it's just like something like this It's just fascinating it should be there for people to be able to consume right so we, you know It's hitting Prime, it's hitting Prime Video, so they're definitely doing a good job There, you know A load of people have Prime membership So Listen, you will be able to check it out On The 4th of November, which is Friday Right, and As I said, look, it's definitely something That you will want to watch Definitely something you will want to watch Because the production level is fantastic The story is just it, was, it look is a pivotal thing to everyone look we all consume some of the foods that hemmings probably created you, you know what i mean there's something here that you would have eaten you know even the vegetarians eat french fries right Even vegans eat French fries. So he has impacted everyone's life in some way. And because of that, you should watch James Hemmings' Ghost in America's Kitchen. Because you'll learn so much. You'll learn so much. And it will change the way you look at food. And the way people talk about this shit. Because there is a load of dishonest motherfuckers out there, people. So you need people like Anthony Warren and Ash Bell McHeaven to shine the light on these important things. All right? So go check out James Hemmings, Ghost in America's Kitchen. You will not, you will not be disappointed. all right and now i promise you man we will speak to the writer the the researcher the gentleman that has been working tirelessly to bring all of this to light i call him the architect he's a living legend people it's time for ash bell right my boy ash bell um you know what i mean He is so important. You know what I mean? So important. He's a celebrity chef. As I said, he's, you know, become this historian. He's the gatekeeper to this crazy knowledge. Well, not the gatekeeper. He's the dude that is bringing it to light. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it is time for Ashbell McClellan. Let's go. Okay, people, so I am joined by world-renowned chef, now film writer, um, yeah, chef Ashwell McLevin, Ash, Ashbell, thank you Ashbell, so yeah. much, yes, yeah, I said Ashwell, didn't I, Ashbell McLevin, Ashbel. thank you so much for, um, giving me your time today, um, I've just watched the film, which was so fascinating. James Heming's Ghost of the American Kitchen. That, yeah, I'm like, this is all stuff I knew nothing about. Like, nothing about, you know? A- an indentured yeah. slave being like, the you know, basically the founding father of American cooking. And these meals and foods that just are loved all over the place. Like, this is crazy. How how did this come, like, how did you find this out? Well, I had done a dinner in New York City at the James
1: Beard House, and it was a tribute to Thomas Jefferson and the Africans, in quotes, that cooked in his kitchen. And uh, and much later, um, I was really awakened in a cold sweat in the middle of the night and all I could hear ringing in my ears was, how could you of all people forget about me? And I was like, well, what's that about? What's going on? But uh, growing up in South Carolina, I believed uh, very firmly in departed spirits, in um, They were called in, in, in South Carolina. And I knew right away that it was a departed spirit. And I understood clearly then after that it was the spirit of James Hemings, um, really chiding me to get get further, go further, ask questions, and uh, and I, you know, I'm not a culinary historian. I am a nosy chef, <laughs> and I, I, started, I started digging. I started digging and looking. So, who is this guy? Who was he? And um, and I discovered an amazing story. So Ghost in America's Kitchen is literally the first in a trilogy of films about James Hennings. Uh And um, and in particular, for uh, UK audiences, the tradition of Virginia plantation cookery has its roots in... Hampton Court Palace is Henry VIII's Hampton Court Palace and their growing boards. So the food has an English, Irish, and uh, Scottish and Welsh influence at its base. Okay. But it took the African ingenuity to say, wait a minute. This is just roast meat and gruel. and uh, And we're going to take this and make it taste good. And that's what they did. They added flavor and ingenuity. And um, and that really is the base of the cooking that James Hemings took to Paris when he was there with Thomas Jefferson in the 1780s. And he spent five years there learning classic French cooking, and he fused that. Virginia plantation cooking, with all of its roots in the UK too, um, with a, a few other countries thrown in, and and definitely a lot of Native American influences. That's what he took to Paris, and he created a fusion that was half Virginian and half classic French fine cuisine, and um, and. You know, and, and, of course, it took Thomas Jefferson to weaponize that cooking. <laughs> and uh, and it was, he was so good at what he did um, and with his training that Jefferson could invite uh, royalty and the leaders of the Enlightenment in Paris to his table because James Hemings was the finest of chefs in, in Paris at the time. And uh, and that is the, the real impetus of, of a tradition of excellence that black Americans have had on the continent, and particularly in Paris, less so in, in England, but definitely in Paris, where, you know, we influence, um, Um, the world and and not only enriched the French but the rest of the world with with, uh, James Hemings in particular when he returned from that five year stay in Paris he returned as a master chef de cuisine and he had to make a decision to return to slavery too because he was free he was a free man in Paris Mm. but he to return to slavery, and I believe that he chose as a a patriot. It's It's a much bandied about word these days, but a true believer in his country and the potential of the American Constitution. He believed in its potential, and that faith has been what um, Black Americans have used to agitate and, um, and bring the Constitution more to life, because we weren't included in the original Constitution. But James Hemings, as Jefferson's Ballet, was in the room. It was in the room when the Constitution was being written and debated. Mm. And it, when you start to think about that, it it just puts your mind in a whole nother perspective. Because you would like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, you, you start to look at things very differently. And I took the view of, of you know, really kind of, looking at how uh, colonial uh, Black people may have felt in, uh, in slavery and, uh, and in freedom um, and wondering in well, how they might feel. And I took the stance of being in a Black barbershop on a Saturday morning. And you know what that's like. You hear everything. Everything this yeah. discussed, nothing is off-limits. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And I was able to hear those people, my ancestors and yours, literally in a whole nother light. And it all made sense. I was like, okay, okay. I understand now some of the dynamics of, of what they went through. And for me, growing up in um, segregated South Carolina, um, where I, I am not of a tender age, <laughs> but uh, I uh, I went to school segregated by law, by law, and mm. people hear me say that, and they, I, I said it to a group of young chefs. And uh, and thirty sets of eyes were looking back at me like, okay, come on, come on, okay, now now you're really pulling our leg. It's like, what, what, how could you have done that? And you're standing here talking to me. And I say, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. And um, and I, you know, I'm. I'm really interested in um, in that whole life of Black folks in the African diaspora because you have places like London where in um, 1785 when James Hennings was in Paris and there's some uh, evidence that he actually went to uh, Paris with The Duke d'Orleans, because the kitchens traveled with 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 you wherever you went. You took your whole kitchen, you you, you, you have all your chefs, all of the workers in the kitchen went with you wherever you travel. And uh, and the Prince d'Orleans was a great friend of the uh, Prince of Wales. And uh, and in 1787, he went to Paris and. and I believe James Hemings was on that trip because he was trained at the Chateau Chateau, which belonged to the Duke d'Orleans. And in 1787, there were 30,000 free Black people in London. 30,000. I mean, that, that's like, having lived in London, that really did my head in. I was like, what? <laughs> Nobody said no. What? Mm. <laughs> Nobody ever told me that um, in the in the 15 years I was in the UK. And I well, kept, you
0: don't learn you don't learn that at, in history at school.
1: No, you don't. You, you don't. And that's why I am so uh, glad that this documentary is about us telling our own story. So we're not relying on his story. Mm. We're telling our own stories. And that's the power of of our opportunities today. And um, I'm, I'm just firmly rooted in the debt that I owe, that we owe to the people that went before us and what they had to endure. For us to get here, and and for you to be on a radio broadcast where you are, you you're you're uh, you're disseminating information around the world. How unimaginable is that for your grandparents or your parents, either? That's the debt we owe. Yeah, we owe to them to do our best at this
0: and well yeah yeah, it it is that thing right where it's the people before us that laid the footwork laid the groundwork for what we do now without the recognition right and it was slow movements right it was like the tortoise trying to win that race because things, didn't, yeah, oh, yes. you know what I mean? James is this cook, but it's not like then suddenly everyone is, you know, sending their, their chefs to Paris to, no, it is, it's a no. gradual, slow moving thing. Yeah. And it, it is so, um, you know, it is so
1: important. I was in the documentary called Fries and, uh, and the, the, the famous American chef, uh, Anthony Bourdain, who traveled around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was his production company that did, did, did the documentary on fries. And when they had gone around the world and um, gotten all, interviewed all these people, they came back to me and said, Ashbell, the only, we saved you for last because. You're the only person that made sense out of how this French fries got disseminated around the world, and it was James Hemings who brought that dish, along with macaroni and cheese, and French fries, and French vanilla ice cream, firm ice cream, meringues, and whipped cream, and the the pavlova that's so loved in Britain or made out of meringues. And he introduced that to America. And uh, and from an enslaved kitchen at Monticello Plantation, that dish went around the world. Those dishes went around the world. And now they're part of Global Foodways.
0: That's the thing that's so important. But it's just... What I find interesting is, right? You're the first person who's said, like, I've, you're the first person I've heard this from, right? Mm -hmm. And you must imagine there's other people that must have known must have oh, known yes. Have, have, yes, kept <laughs> it, have kept it quiet and i find that's the, that's the real interesting thing you know and i think we've seen it over the last few years after george floyd and everything like that mm-hmm. when everyone suddenly mm-hmm. came out and was like we apologize for what we've done and we must do better and blah 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 but it's just like you're saying yeah. it now but you've had this information You've had knowledge of these things for all this time, but only now you're trying to claim that, oh, I didn't know and now I'm going to do this thing. And it's like, it's it's this crazy thing where all of this history is kept hidden. All of this knowledge is, is being subjugated until someone like yourself shines a light on it. Well,
1: it, 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 it's, it's been there. It's been lurking in the background. And it's all about interpretation. Um, I scoured the libraries in Bristol and in London and uh, did a whole bunch of research um, just looking at how the roots of Southern regional cooking. And part of my restaurant, uh, Ash Bell's in London, um, was to explore that, that, um, that avenue, and I, I stepped back and looked at my own heritage, English, and, um, well, Scottish, Irish, Cherokee, uh, Native American, and African, and all of them, I embrace. I embrace all of them. And the and the fact that these stories are nearly erased from history is up to us to to dig them out. There's a huge community of Black culinary historians in um, in America. And in the UK, you have Andy Oliver. You've got Andy, who I've known for, for ages, really pressing the point is that, hey, wait a minute this is what we've brought to the table and uh and the table is rich it's delicious and it's varied and um i'm going to be a part of one of her dinners um in uh late november and i'm I'm hoping that you'll be there too um where Uh we're going to be sampling all of these different flavors from the african diaspora and um and pointing out how it made their way into fine dining, mm. and uh, and where they should have been in the first place, and and that I am puzzled too, like you, about that erasure and mm. um, an attempt to marginalize um, the contributions, and and in America there, you know, the famous trope is from from people that want just, to just revert back 200 years, um, they say, oh, it's woke. You woke. And and I say very firmly, looking them in the eye, I say, oh, no, I'm not woke. But I am wide awake to your crap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am wide awake, and I'm present. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that, we must, in, in our debt to our ancestors, um, who, who just endured and created excellence, excellence, man, in spite of the circumstances of being enslaved. Mm. Yeah. They did the best they could under the circumstances. And in spite of their circumstances, That just really, whoa, I, you know, I'd be, oh, well, can I slip a little arsenic in this for you? (laughs) Mm. Okay. But they didn't.
0: No, and you made that interesting point in this, um, in the documentary, that you you have all of these rich white people with their slaves, you know, who they didn't treat well, but yeah. Entrusted the cooking of their food, yeah. Which is that thing, like as you said, you know, I mean? it, it's that great <laughs> opportunity just to put that poison up in there and yeah. be like, "I am clearing out this family now." You know what I mean? And if oh, they're yeah. having guests over, you're wiping all that But yeah, yeah. Entr- But then the other crazy thing about that notion, right, about slavery and everything like that, and what we know happened. Mm-hmm so we know you know slavery and we know you know that these slaves did everything but yeah yeah it's like that thought of oh well thomas jefferson created these foods and he'd be like wait but oh yes <laughs> <laughs> Dude, but he wasn't doing it. He had slaves to cook. So how was it he created this book? And that's the insane thing about a lot of these things, right? We know all of these people had yeah. slaves. And we know they had to do yeah. everything, which would be the cooking and just all of that kind of jazz. So then yeah. when a white person is then taking credit for it, it's like, yeah, how how in this day and age... Are we taking that verbatim? How how are we not looking in this like when we think of all the lies that we have uncovered, right? No, you yeah. just don't look at everything with like you know what I mean, a magnifying glass yeah. and go, okay, what's the real truth behind this stuff? Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, we're we're discovering those real truths, and that's the thing. And it's 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 the fact that you're disseminating to your audience this this new bit of information. It's not new, but it's 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 being uh, put a spotlight on. It's being focused on. And um, there is so much commonality and I I believe in what Nelson Mandela set up after he got out of prison in um, in South Africa. It was a truth and reconciliation, and you've got to have the truth, and that's mm. what we're we're. I'm so proud that the film is starting that process. And one a one hour documentary, "Ghost in America's Kitchen," does not sum up the magnitude of James Tennyson's life, and the follow up of, of films that's coming is one is a TV series that's in development now, James Hemmings in Paris, which okay. is the American Bridgerton. And, uh-huh. um, we're, where we don't have to invent the six years of Queen Sophia being on the throne and being, you know, a dark relative of the Windsors, mm. <laughs> um, uh, even though she was German. Um, we don't have to recreate that and to extend that into fantasy land. We have real facts and real people that are historical figures that weren't. Well, let's just say that weren't um, the stand-up people that uh, their uh, that history has uh, has lied to us that they were. Yeah. Okay, um, because we'll get to, and I decided to not write a book about it, but to do moving pictures so that people can see, instead of reading it in the book, look at this. Here's what, you know, happened in the American delegation in Paris in uh, in 1785 uh, to 1790. Not pretty, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not pretty. It um, it just shows us that the uh, quote unquote the white founding fathers were as fallible and as gullible and as um as painfully inadequate as a lot of humans are, but you know they've been exalted as these paragons of virtue (laughs) and of thought and Mm. um i'm looking forward to shattering that that real lie it's just a lie okay (laughs) and we can we can just have to talk about it exactly as it is a lie yeah
0: and um, No, sorry, man yeah. you go, you
1: go. No no no, I was just going to say, but that's why the, those the two projects that I'm working on, James Hemmings in uh, Paris, and um, a Patriot's return to Slavery, is all about that. And I'm, I'm um, happy to be working with um, Shannon Lanier. Who is James Hemings' sixth great nephew, oh. and uh, Thomas Jefferson's sixth great grandson? That's so okay. it is ominous that we've we've uh, made an alliance to tell these stories, and, and his family is involved, uh, you know, up to their neck in it. Mm-hmm. Um, They're the ones who actually. Create help to create. <coughs> help, excuse me, help to create help. fine dining in America, and yeah. that is another conversation. So that I I firmly believe that this this taking that that cue from Nelson Mandela, where we gotta have the truth to have a reconciliation. So that I'm gonna be one of the ones. Um, Sharing my table with people that I don't agree with politically, but or, or economically, etc. But they're going to be invited to one table so that we can do the one vulnerable thing that every human has to do is to put something in their mouth for sustenance. So that we need to sit around that table. And view people from the point of point of view of all. Oh, this is a point of survival, and it's the most one of the most um, vulnerable things you can do is to put something in your mouth to eat. And mm. uh, and I'm looking forward to you know being one of those people that's going to invite everybody to the table. And, uh, and hopefully, we can we can start looking at each other, not as, oh, they're a fact, they're this, they're cute, they're, they're racist, they're right wing, and they're wh- whatever they are, um, or whatever persuasion. We have to, if we're going to survive, if we're going to survive we're going to have to resist that tribalism and finger pointing. And uh, which is when you really put the facts out there and people can start to decide for themselves and, and get more information on historical facts, you don't have to, um, they'll know a lie from, from what's, what's the truth. But you have to be able to get all the information out there, and that's what I'm trying to do. So um, I'm grateful for this opportunity to to talk with you uh, about this because um, because your platform is influential, and uh, and it's it's about spreading that word. It's about spreading that word that we count and We Matter, um, one incident uh, from James Hemings's life that <clears throat> reminds me of the George Floyd movement. When Jefferson was appointed president by the Congress, he was elected by the Congress, not by the people, by the way, in the first term, <laughs> um, he sent his secretary uh, to Baltimore where James was cooking in a tavern and he sent to his secretary to tell James to come to the White House to be the chef. James refused because he was a free man at that point and he refused to come like he did when, Jeff, when he was Jefferson's enslaved person. He said no, I'm a free man, and you're going to respect me as a free man. And to any free man, you would write a letter of appointment. And if you can just write a few lines, I'd be happy to come. Well, Jefferson refused to write that letter to a Black man. And he instead wrote that letter a normal thing in colonial times. He he wrote that letter to a white French chef. Um, but James Hemings had the last laugh. He stood up to the most powerful man in his universe, literally the most powerful man in his universe. He stood up and he said, no, you're going to respect me as a man and not as your slave. Mm. And that to me was the seminal moment and the power of James Hendricks. Um, because he stood up when he could have been, suffered all kinds of consequences. He stood up to a president of the United States and said, no, you're going to respect me. And he didn't hold a grudge. So he later went to Monticello and cooked for Jefferson that that same summer. But he refused to go to the White House without a letter of appointment, and that is, I, that endeared me to him uh, tremendously, and um, I've, um, I, I I take so much solace from the power of what he did, and uh, and the fact that he was half brother to Thomas Jefferson's wife Martha. Uh, both the children of an Englishman from Leicester, John Wales. Even though he had this familiar link to Jefferson's children, he was the uncle to Jefferson's children. And in in today's parlance, that would be, particularly in a city like London, that would be um, nothing out of the ordinary. <clears throat> Um, because London is that kind of walled city, I call it. <laughs> it's a it's a culturally walled city. Um, yeah. Where if you you know if there's a school run and a Chinese man picks up a black child after school, nobody in London would bat an eye. Nobody would call the police. Nobody would say, "Oh, well, why is he picking up that child?" nobody
0: well i it depends what part of london you're in <laughs> yeah, 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 well, that, 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 is, that is very true, that is there's, very definitely true. Part, there's definitely parts of london i've been in that haven't <laughs> been that friendly <laughs>
1: okay. and i and, and i granted that is uh, and certain parts of london that definitely wasn't that friendly and and i i found out firsthand that uh, that you don't talk very freely in the barbershop. so
0: <laughs> well, I,
1: I literally had to had um, was was almost uh, stabbed up, as they said.
0: Um, uh, okay, yeah, getting a
1: haircut. Okay, <laughs> so just like whoa, it it, it just um, talking with the, and that that particular institute isn't that just reminds me of how delicate these conversations are, and you're absolutely right. Um, it was, I was getting a haircut and talking with, um, with older uh, Jamaican men, and uh, and I had done a whole film series on food and culture in Jamaica, and I was talking about that and the food and all of this. And uh, a young man comes in, and he like all young people in the, in, in particularly in London, they speak Jamaican patois. Okay, whether they're black or white, they, that is the second language you must learn if you're living in London. And, um, <clears throat> and he arrives and, and all of this talk and all of this, uh, you know, just gest, gesturing and all. And, um, and one of the old guys says, Hey, where were you born? So he says, I'm Jamaican two and through, two and through, And I said, oh, you're British. <laughs> well, I almost lost my life, okay? <laughs> I'll put it like that. So <laughs> I, I understand very fully what you're saying, okay? <laughs> so, so there are definitely parts of London that, oh, no, that's not gone, okay? <laughs> you better back up with that stuff. So, um, I um, well, that's one of the the things that endear me to London. And like New York, that those pockets do exist. Of I I I call them pockets of extreme reality. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because because that you know our um, overall wounding which is something we haven't dealt with as a a people. But that uh, experience of forced uh, slavery definitely um, has psychic baggage that's been transferred through the generations to us. And um, and which is why you know I had the psychiatrist Dr. Sean Green in the documentary really talking about that very subject, and um, and we we also have to heal ourselves um, from that trauma um, because it, it's it's a trauma that's embedded that's been embedded for centuries in our DNA. It's been
0: passed down. And, um, yeah. And, and part and of that, yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's like, you know, when you're growing up in a household with older generations yeah. who have come from certain experiences, yeah. like certain things get ingrained, like certain mistrust, yeah. Some things like that, so it's that it becomes that cycle as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: So this is this is you know I am so thrilled about Ghost in America's Kitchen and particularly being on Amazon Prime. Um, So that it's it's a big platform, and we need to be heard, and it's a point of education for all of us. And um, and you know and being you know the the mixture of cultures and um, and races that I am, I'm you know I'm I'm literally standing up and embracing them all and we, we're we all coming we're all coming to your house okay <laughs> you can't have Ash Bell without having you know that Native American and without having that Scotch Irish. Um, so that's my moonshine side. Okay. (laughs) That's where my family learned how to make moonshine from the Scott. My father was, he made exquisite moonshine and incredible fine bourbon. Um, Uh, but that has its roots in the pochine with the Irish. mm. So, um, it's, um, it's a it's a recognition of where things came from and what we did with it okay one of my first um um things that i, I did a pilot for a show uh, in britain called britain's got soul and um it was really tracing the southern roots of um of uh, american cooking in Britain. And, and, uh, and I discovered a dish that called Colin Brie, I think it is in Scotland.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it has, it is a crab soup, thickened with rice. And growing up in South Carolina, you know, she crab soup in Charleston area is the pinnacle of finding fine dining. And so I knew that food. But the fact that for you know eight hundred to a thousand years there were African traders going up the coast to Scotland and bringing rice from the Red River in Africa for that dish before it got um, convoluted and sent back to to uh, South Carolina and became something else, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I remind people very firmly that, you know, goods and products were made in Bristol and Liverpool, and those ships left with those trinkets and products, went to Africa, picked up that cargo, that human cargo, and then went to Kingston, first stop, Charleston, South Carolina second stop. And the same families that were dropped off in Kingston start cooking, cooking the same way that uh, that somebody in Charleston start cooking. And then on to Virginia. and then back to back to uh, bringing cotton and rice in particular from South Carolina and tobacco, um, to uh, to England, and of course, from, you know, uh, Jamaica and, and the other Caribbean islands, sugar, um, where you'd had, literally, I, I was in Bristol for several years, but at one point, there were over 100 sugar refinery mills in Bristol, and, you know, and it's like, what? What? How could that be? And you, you, you know, you used to walk on White Ladies Road in Bristol, and I said, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> like, uh, uh, it was, it was my pleasure. And I, I would start to talk to um, the White Ladies that the road was named after. <laughs> and I'd say, I'd say the things like, well, how do you like me now? I'm walking on your road. <laughs> and I'm telling you about all kinds of things crap about your history that you don't want me to know. But I do know, and I'm calling you out on it. Um, that um, resonance to me, um, well, it resonated to me. And, and it's all one, one uh, story. My own mother um, died very young of ignorance and, and, and racism, literally. Um, but she was a working chef. She was a working chef when she died. Um, my uncle, who fought in World War II, after he came back to America, he trained as a dentist. He went to university. He became a dentist, a dentist. But in North Carolina, they were they only granted the state only granted two. Um, licenses for the whole state of North Carolina, which is a huge, it's bigger than England actually, a huge state, um, but they only licensed two black dentists. He literally took his skills into the kitchen and ended up being the executive chef at the country club where the members that had denied him the license actually mm. <laughs> And so it, 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 this whole story about James Henning's and the Erasure has deep roots in, um, in both the country's colonial history, but also deep roots in that awful period of enslavement and the, and the joy of coming out of that and to you and me saying oh no 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 we're not going back to that we're not going back and we're standing here in your face and we're not asking for a seat at the table we're sitting down yeah that's that's who we are now and i am so glad to be able to to be here in this moment, um, to help to, um, to disseminate this information and, and to, to really highlight our excellence. And that's what um, James Hemings did. He represents, he represents our excellence. And uh, when um, the the huge uh, hit musical Hamilton, um which was a a huge hit on broadway and internationally too and the tony award-winning song from that the room where it happened was about the dinner that james hemings created but he was not mentioned he was left out of the the play Mm. he was left out the room where it happened was the dinner that james hemings cooked to reconcile bitter enemies Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton, a person at that dinner with James Madison and James Hemings cooked the meal. That is absolutely fascinating, and um, and it it happens to be the most famous dinner in American colonial history because. <clears throat> A lot of things were decided at that dinner. It was decided where Washington D.C. would be located on the Potomac. Not and the capital of the U.S. would be in Washington and not New York City or Philadelphia. And uh, and they decided how the debt from the colonial war um, with England would be paid. And um, and that. You know, states would divvy up the cost. and of course, Jefferson and Madison, being from Virginia, they made sure that Virginia paid the least amount okay? oh, of <laughs> the debt. Okay, <laughs> and, and um, it, it just, it's just—it's just so fascinating, and uh, and you know, the American Thanksgiving celebration is coming up, and that's one thing I'd love to talk to you about because. Uh, it um all of this uh um misinformation about uh the the um foreign <laughs> invaders <laughs> the illegal aliens in the <laughs> to the Native american population were the uh, the people that came in from from england and um And that whole uh, story of the first Thanksgiving and sharing a turkey and all of this, well, it was Pocahontas who was looking through the bushes and seeing that these same, um, I call them illegal aliens, (laughs) um, the original illegal aliens, um, were cannibalizing themselves because they didn't trust any food that they didn't bring them from England, so they ended up frying up, uh, you know, somebody that died, <laughs> and uh, and this has been proven by archaeologists. Um, this is not just Bell inventing stuff, and uh, and she was able to initially bring them food and say and show them you can eat this. This is edible. You're, you're in a natural larder and there's no reason for you to be cannibalizing each other. Mm. And, and for the reward of that first dinner, what do you think the those illegal aliens did? They went, <laughs>
0: they
1: went and stole. The store of corn that the Native Americans had put up for winter.
0: Mm. That
1: is the character of the first illegal aliens in America. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you feed me, but then as soon as you turn your back, I'm gonna steal your shit. Excuse my French.
0: <laughs> okay. um, well, yeah. It, yeah. it is something that we've seen throughout history, you know. Yes, but absolutely. it's something that we don't want to talk about for some crazy reason.
1: We 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 must have difficult conversations to have. And it's difficult for everybody. And you know, a lot, a lot of white folks say, um, oh no, well, why don't we talk about I wasn't there and all of this. I said, but you benefited from that whole um, segregation system that was created after slavery ended. You mm. benefited from it. And you must actually stop. And we all must stop on the, on the side of Black folks. We need to stop pointing things like, you, you're a slave. You're a slave. But most white people couldn't even afford to even eat. <laughs> okay they were so poor so yeah. you know they weren't owning any slaves and, and as far as you know the reason that I'm part Irish is because there were a million uh, enslaved black people in, in 1790 in Virginia in, in, well not in Virginia but in the US and there were half a million enslaved Irish people Nobody mm-hmm. talked about it Okay, yeah. nobody talks about that. It's it, it it's a fact, and that's how I
0: got to be part Irish. Yeah, okay, it's they were it's, to the Africans. Mm, well, it's that it's that weird thing where sometimes one aspect is spoken about, right? So yeah. when we when we talk about concentration camps and the yeah. war. Yeah. we talk about the jewish prisoners yes but we know black people disabled people there's other groups that were put in those camps as well oh
1: absolutely but,
0: but we never yeah. really talk about those other groups we only yeah. talk about the jewish you know genocide which you yeah. know it was disgusting it's terrible but there are yeah. other people that suffered as well so why don't we talk about everything Right? We yeah, just choose well, to talk about this one segment, horrific segment, but there were other, you know, horrific things going on, but we, we don't talk about them. Oh, absolutely. And, and we, and, you know, and during the, this
1: time before England um, abolished slavery, it was the Pope that had the slaving license and he granted it to the Prince of Wales. Nobody, nobody talks about that. Yeah, um, it, it. We must, and I keep going back to Nelson Mandela because he's such an inspiration. I had to. I had an opportunity to cook for him when he visited Brooklyn. Oh, nice! And um, and he came into the kitchen and he said, "Brother, that's so delicious. What's the what's that food?" I said. It's the food of poor folks, sir. That's what it is. And he just gave me a hug. What did what you like, cook for um, Well, I, I made um, a sweet corn pudding, which um, is a staple in my family and uh, and something I'm going to be recreating at the uh, Andy Oliver's dinner. Um, and... Uh, we had the uh, bourbon smoked turkey, um, uh, traditional greens. I I, I did a, a instead of just regular collard greens, I I had fried collard greens, slicing them thin, frying them with olive oil and garlic, and it was a total. It was another twist on a staple item in the. Um, in the American uh, culinary, especially in the South, in that tradition. And um, and I ended with a warm banana pudding, which was a deconstructed cold banana pudding with uh, toasted pound cake, um, uh, pudding cream, <laughs> and uh, which I warmed up. And I sauteed the bananas in uh, brown sugar and rum and toasted the pound cake and that and serve that. And that that was a a staple in my restaurant in London years later, too. But that's the kind of thing that he loved. And he kept saying, I'm familiar with it, but it was all new to me. Things that I'm so familiar with, so new, so new. But that hug was solidarity in shared experience. And it was it. Totally electrified my entire body to just touch him, and um, and I, you know, and I know now how useful that uh, that just that brief moment of his, it just with him, just made me realize how important his words were. We've got to tell the truth. We got to look at it no matter how painful it is. It's shared pain pain mm. for the white, pain for the black folks. We've got to have that shared pain to reconcile and sit at the same table.
0: I think that's, that's an important yeah. thing that you're saying there, though, Ashwell, because I remember hearing, um, I think it was a couple of years ago, Greta Thunberg was talking and saying Mm -hmm. that she wants to talk about climate change with everyone but she won't sit down with trump and i was just like if you want change to happen you have to sit down with everyone you can't cherry. you have to sit down with people you don't agree with because how are you gonna try and change their opinion or just come to some sort of alliance some sort of negotiation right and it's it's only you know there's that documentary i think it's on netflix about the gentleman um who sits down with clan members
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he so many clan members and they yeah. give them these cloaks and robes and it's just like that like he, he those people would still be in that you know well, they're mindset. still there. They're still there. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, some of them are definitely there. But you yeah. wouldn't get these things happening if you don't sit down with people who you might not necessarily agree with. I I totally agree.
1: I um I when I was um I was on air chat on the Weekend Today show in New York City on NBC years ago, and um, <clears throat> And I um, invited Donald Trump, because I was new, and I was just like, oh, stab in the dark, and invited him to cook with me because he owned the Plaza Hotel at the time. Well, he accepted, because at that time, he'd go to the opening of an envelope. (laughs) Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. (laughs) He loved being on TV.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Loved the spotlight. And so, literally, we... We taped the segment in um, the the uh, Plaza Hotel kitchen, and um, and literally, it was we did it on a Wednesday, and my show was on a Sunday, so I was like, oh, happy, 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 it's gonna be a show. By the time I got home, my it was the days of your uh, where everybody had a telephone recording machine, and when I got home. The machine was full. All my friends from California called me, hey, just saw you on with Donald Trump. Hey. I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> so I called one of my friends up like, what do you mean? I, he said, oh, you're on with Trump. I said, yeah, I'm looking forward to this Sunday because we're going to air it this Sunday. And um, <laughs> and, they, and he said, uh, my friend Martin said, I just saw it. What are you talking about? I just saw it on TV. I was like, oh, oh well I learned a, a lesson in how things work in T V. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It is when it's a hot property, you sell it immediately. Mm. And it got sold to um to other news stations around the country. And um and it and it was uh, a surprise to me and I, you know, of course I I, I just got the same little pay that they did pay yeah. me to appear every Sunday morning, and you know, cook a dish, and um, and it, it was a it was a lesson. And I always say I don't agree with the politics of Trump at all. Um, but he did introduce me to Donna Ross, and okay. he attended a party at my house in Harlem that the Canadian consulate was giving. And uh, and the the tape of the TV show that that uh he was on on NBC and they showed it and everything I have kept that cape hidden ever since. <laughs> I was like no. <laughs> no 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 <laughs> because it would he would turn me into a Kanye West okay <laughs> And I, I know that now. I'm like, oh, well, he he couldn't he couldn't do that because my mouth is a lethal weapon. <laughs> he, he couldn't do that. He, you know, I'd be reminding him of the days there when he hung out with Snoop Dogg and Chuck D.
0: Yeah, oh
1: Those were his hanging partners. Okay, and you know, and and yeah, you're trying to hang out with them now. Oh no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> so. Um, but everybody has a history mm. and even even that you might be a disagreement, I will make a place for you at the table. I will make a place for you at the table and uh and in it and it it must we i am I'm firmly confident in the future. And that's what James Hemings had his hopes and prayers and his faith, even though he wasn't included at the time, in this fragile document called the Constitution. And he had faith that eventually, and it did, through the agitation of, of a lot of Black folks, and particularly Black women. Mm. Um, we, you need to give them the credit of keeping hope alive. I, I literally went with my mother to pay the poll tax that Black people had to pay to vote in South Carolina. She paid the tax so that my eldest sister could vote even though she wanted to vote all of her life. And it was $12, which was an enormous sum of money at that time because a week's salary was $20. Whoa. Whoa. And she squirreled away $12 to pay so that my older sister, Odell, could vote for the first time for when John Kennedy was running. And when I voted for Obama, I stood in the booth and I was in tears because I knew I was voting for her. I was casting a vote for her. Mm. And I I stayed there for a good half hour. And they were like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm I'm fine. Um, Because I knew what kind of debt that was. Um, And I am... uh, I'm, I'm happy, Kevin. I, I feel like I'm made for this moment. And I'm made to tell, I'm here to tell James Hems' story and my uncle's story and my mother's story and all the other people that's been nearly erased from our history, particularly our culinary history. And yeah, um, yeah and, uh, and, 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 and thanks to you, this story is getting out. Ghost in well, America's it, Question on November 4th on Amazon Prime is that first bit of, yes, this is us telling our stories. Yeah.
0: It's is, is such an important story to tell. Like, how, why did this seem like the right time to do it? And what made you kind of conceive it in this structure? You know, this documentary, then a series... You know, right. and then another um, another piece after that.
1: Right. Well, I I knew that <clears throat> a book was gonna be read by a few people, <laughs> not enough. And uh, even if it's a best selling book, and I knew that the power of in especially in the digital age of moving pictures. And I knew that once I accepted James Hemings' story, and I went to Monticello, and I I literally stood in his footsteps on 1790s dirt in front of the stove that he cooked on the potager stove, because they were excavating the kitchen, the 1790 kitchen that he put in at the Paris. And I stood there in front of that Portager stove with charcoal still in the heart. And a young archaeologist saying, there's no flu. Why is this, why is there charcoal in this Was this some kind of stove? Well, a Portager stove doesn't need a flu. It just works with hot charcoal. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, a technology that he learned in France, it was created in France, and he imported that back to America and it was used to make fine sauces and and dishes that you you needed more control over to um rather than the fireplace because the fireplace is where they cook these enormous meals and typically um four courses and each course would have you know four to six different dishes in each course. So you had an incredible amount of food over four courses and an incredible amount of dishes and those variations. And that all came out of a fireplace.
0: That's, so I mean, actually, that? that I, when you explained some of those cooking techniques in the documentary, mm-hmm. that just blew me away. And especially yeah. when you're talking about the the ice cream in the pastry, like have you yeah. ever thought of you know with, with all of this stuff that you're doing, of maybe doing like a little cookery show of like James Henry's like cookery, like meals and stuff, or the, the, just the techniques showing people how to make these things because I think that would be huge. I'd watch that. I would definitely watch. Soon that. come,
1: Kevin. <laughs> From yes. your out to God's ears, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's vended, man. That's inventive. Yeah, I I, w- I want to know how to make some of those things. <laughs> well,
1: I will. Well, that's one of the things we're going to be doing. But the his famous dessert, of warm pastry stuffed with vanilla ice cream, took me two years to figure out how to do it because I kept saying, "Okay, well, we got a fireplace, so." Okay, I know where he made the, where he got the ice cream, got the ice to make the ice cream from. In New York City on a warm June day, it was June 20th, 1790. And he had to walk past the slave pens on Wall Street, which is now our financial center, to get to the old British barracks, which had the first ice house in America. That's uh-huh. where he got the ice from to make the ice cream. Oh man! And I was thinking, I was like, okay, well, he's got he's got a fireplace. So how in the world did he do this? And he did it by that one thing: meringues. He did it by incredible ingenuity. Meringues are an insulator, like a baked Alaska, which uh, which came to be literally 50 years after he did this dish. But he used that meringue as an insulator to wrap around the ice cream, which would keep it cold, and insulate it, and then put the pastry on it. And then I, and I was well, that the dilemma? Well, how would he, where's the oven? he has got a fireplace. Well, How would he do it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> he took two copper pots, and we know that he brought back copper pots from France. And you, when you turn them uh, on top of each other and put a spoon in the middle to hold the pastry, it's the perfect oven. And I was like, it took me two years to figure it out. And I was, I was on a friend's couch and I stayed the night and we were out late Drinking the night before, and I just jumped up screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> oh my god, that's how we did it! <laughs> and they come right out. Like, What's wrong? My god! <laughs> and it, it was such a revelation. I was like, "That's how we did it. That's how we did it." And uh we're gonna recreate that. Um, okay. On February fifth we're going to be recreating that dish that had been made in America for nearly 200 years. Ooh. Okay. And um, we're going to be recreating that dish with Chef Kimberly Brock, uh, Brown, who um, is an internationally known um, pastry chef and uh, and also the president of the American Culinary uh, Federation. Okay. Um, it, it's uh, such a, an honor to be working with her because it was the female students of James Hemings that went to the White House, that Jefferson took to the White House since James refused to come without the letter. But his students, Ursula Granger, Frannie Hearn, and Edith Gossett, Fawcett literally went to the white house to teach the white french chef james Hemings's fusion style of half virginian half french that he created in paris that is so important and mm. we were hoping to do that initial dinner at the white house oh um, gosh. yeah so that because there's so much history there with those women literally bringing not only this recipe and teaching it to the the white french chef who literally took that recipe in his catering company after he left the white house and worked with jefferson and he used it for 20 more years as the pearl of his of his catering company in washington um we're gonna reclaim that nice and uh and, and put it in its proper space and honoring those women who were students of his, but also um, honoring James Hemmings. And uh, we're going to be asking President Biden to write a posthumous letter of invitation to be the chef of the White House.
0: Oh, and, nice.
1: Uh, yeah. So exciting. And James Hemmings deserves this due after. Over the years of, of of mere erasure on the, oh, the, the lies of
0: Jefferson. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ashby, if you if you need a sous chef to help you, <laughs> day, well, I, I will fly out and help cook for you, man. I will do that. Stuff. <laughs> well, no,
1: well, I do, and then, listen, I'm I'm glad you volunteered because I. I literally work with two chefs all the time. And they're not necessarily the people that train in the restaurant schools and all of that, just a good um, idea of how to cook. And I can tell you what to do. I just said, I had a dishwasher once in Bristol um, because the chef didn't want, you know, I was trying to teach him how to make a New Orleans roux, which is different from a French roux. And so he was, you know, it was a young white chef and he was embarrassed. I said, no, that's not the way to do it. You do it this way for the said, like, Don't tell me how to make a roux. Don't tell me how to make a roux. I know how to make a roux. I graduated from this school. There. And so we refused to have any of the chefs in the kitchen help me. What? But they did anyway. They were like, no, this is a stitch up. He, he gave me the dishwasher as my sous chef. <laughs> and the dishwasher was like, oh, my God, I don't cook. I, don't know I cook at home. I make almonds. I don't know what to do. I said, just do whatever what I say. Don't think. Just do exactly as I say. And literally, the other chefs kept running whenever the the, the head chef had his back turned. and run What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And uh, in true British style, they were like, we don't like a stitch up, OK? <laughs> and in true British style, they were like, no, you're not going to make him look like a fool. And uh, and it was for the Goldbrick House in uh, Bristol. And literally, when all these well, 50 people were coming for my tasting menu and um, and when they came in, literally, the first thing they saw was a huge mountain of bourbon honey chicken wings that went down a blaze with the British. Okay. Oh man, <laughs> and, it just sounds so good. <laughs> no, no, you're not gonna, you're not gonna stitch me up. And I literally is like I just say, wake up early in the morning. And wake your mama up too, because if you're trying to catch me out, you got to get up early. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but that is, that was what we had to endure. Mm. And uh, and I just, you know, drew from that, and I, I I knew, um, that you know, yeah, I'm responsible. You know, people coming, they paid already. And I'm not going to let them down. I'm going to give them a taste of this culture, of this food, and of this history. And um, and I'm I'm glad I did And I, I've got to say we couldn't get, get gotten through it without <laughs> without the other chefs. going, oh, we hate a stitch up, no, <laughs> not going to have it. And that that uh, I, I, that was an enjoyable time for me.
0: So. Oh, that's great man but it's it's crazy, right? so that exp- you experienced that there, and yeah. I'm sure there's a whole heap of other incidents you can probably talk on, oh, but yes. it's just like what must it have been like for James? yeah, yeah, you know what I mean, because it's wow. just like being this great cook being acknowledged as being this great cook, yeah, kind of but not then getting the recognition in books, like not getting, you know, the letter of invitation and the other racist stuff that must have happened. You know, it yes. must have happened. Yeah. And he, continued, but he still, like, taught the other chefs, did just did all of that stuff. And, and it, it's just yeah. like, when you think about, you know, the racist experiences we have gone through at this yeah. time, yeah. So what it must have been like when it was so much, so much worse. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, I um, I uh, I know that James Hemings, when he took over Jefferson's kitchen in Paris at his training, he he sp- spoke fluent French, and uh, and Jefferson never spoke fluent French oh. uh, at all. But James Hemings could read and write. French fluently, and he supervised a, a French-speaking staff of ten. When he took over the kitchen, and uh, and that was the kitchen where you know Jefferson invited royalty and and the higher and the uh, and the leaders of the Enlightenment in uh, in Europe. Then he hid the fact that he owned six hundred people in America. Hmm. That wasn't what he told the French. And because if he did, or if James Hemings had declared his freedom in Paris, Jefferson's reputation and Ben Franklin's reputation would have been ruined overnight. And they would have been pariahs. Hmm. James Hemings knew that because he could read and write. And he knew all of, you know, you couldn't put in oh, he's a slave, so he can't read, but he can read and write, and he can read and write fluently in French, so both French and English, so he knew that if he declared his freedom in France, it would have destroyed the credit of the young United States, so that's the, that's why the story is so rich, and that we couldn't possibly encapsulate it in a one-hour documentary, mm, that yeah. that's the real uh, uh, reality of of James Hemings's incredible life, and um, um you know, I'm I'm convinced that uh, <clears throat> it was reported that that he drank himself to death in mm. Baltimore, which is a total lie, because the the average person, man and woman, in all of colonial America didn't drink water at all. They drank ale. Yeah. Alcohol. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Throw back a, a couple of beers. Um, You know, a couple of pints before you, before you start your day because that's all you're going to drink all day. So how is it that he was the only one that would Die of an overdose of alcohol. How ridiculous is that? Mm, and yeah, it, and it's it, you right. know when you put it in perspective, it's like, well, everybody else was drinking too. <laughs> it's just like, but not just drinking little little you know cocktails. They were drinking tankards of ale for breakfast at every meal. It was ale, not water. That's what people don't understand. Mm. And, uh, and I'm, I'm convinced that when he arrived in Baltimore, he had the finest clothes in the world. His boots were the finest, handmade leather boots in Paris. And his shirts were fine because he loved his clothes. And, um, and I am convinced that he was murdered for his clothes, <laughs> OK? even the, the richest men and women in Baltimore in 1803 could not even afford to buy a shirt, one shirt, that James Henry brought back from Paris. And to have him walk around as a free man dress better than the the richest white women in Baltimore men and women in Baltimore was was definitely a target he was a target okay and um, I firmly believe that uh, that somewhere we're gonna find a cache of his writings because clearly he wrote down his recipes, and and the techniques that the French were so stodgy about, and they were they insisted that you write down the techniques because they were so complicated mm. that you had to write them down, and um and I'm sure that you know on the Antiques Roadshow or, or similar show we're gonna one day discover a cache of his writings.
0: Um, mm.
1: because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I firmly believe that. And I and, and there's no way that I would believe
0: that he committed suicide. Absolutely. No, well, I mean, we, we have so many incidents, you know, through history where, yeah. and especially, you know, in segregation times and, you know, yeah. where black people were killed and it was covered up for, you Absolutely. know, the reason is given as something, crazy and you know i I was just reading the other day there was a gentleman who had just who's just been released from jail Mm -hmm. and found like he 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 was accused of attempt of well not attempted murder and rape Mm -hmm. and he he denied it and they found some dna in 2000 and they refused to try it and yeah. it, he only got it, they, they finally, through a load of intervention, they, they tested the DNA in 2019.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then they discovered, that yeah, he was innocent. But he'd been in jail for, I think, they said something like, I think 48 years, something. Yes. And, in, it, and in, there's so yeah. many of these incidents. So, yeah. I And when you think about your experience in Bristol, where the yeah. chef didn't want to learn from you, Right, so yeah. if James Hemingway is looking dapper, dapper and fly, he's also yeah. cooking all these meals. He know he can speak two languages. There's definitely yeah. people that are gonna be like, nah, nah. Yeah, not up absolutely,
1: <laughs> absolutely. I, I totally agree, and that's why I, am <clears throat> I'm, I'm so adamant that we need to all see this playing out in moving pictures. And uh, I, because that's going to be really the thing that people are going to look at. It's a great tool for teaching history, too. And oh, yeah. Um, and, and what you mentioned about you want to taste those flavors. Literally, what's in the work is, is literally some heritage food that the. Uh, You'll be able to make yourself at home, or you know, just send us some Dosh, and we'll send it to your door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, well, you know, hey, well, hey, next time I'm over, I'm I'm coming to your open table. Actually, well. <laughs> you know, what I'm
1: going okay, well, to well, see there. you in London later on this month, so. Um, we got a lot to huddle about, okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be that would be splendid. You know, it was interesting, right? There's, I was speaking with a young lady recently um, for the podcast, uh, Vivian mm-hmm. Wimfrop, and she's just her documentary is coming out on the eleventh of November. It's called "The Last of the Winthrops," and she mm-hmm. she started she did the documentary first, but she's going to be writing a companion book to go Mm -hmm. along with it, and I'm sure, with all this information that you have, and it's definitely, you're right, I think people would probably, you know, it's easier to to disseminate that through the documentary, but I think, hey, definitely, if you were to write a companion to go with that, you know what I mean, with just uh, fleshing out- Well,
1: it's gonna be a companion um mostly food book, mm. um, and we you know gonna have some historical points in there, but it's gonna be concentrated on on that fusion of incredible American um, plantation cooking that has its roots in uh, at Hampton Court Palace, um, all the way to uh, going all the way to France with the native influences and some German and and, and some uh, um, Spanish. But taking all of that and he made, uh, you know, a real world-class cuisine out of it. And I am uh, definitely in agreement with you that it, there has to be a companion book with it. And so um, uh, I am... Um, i i i'm working on it brother <laughs> okay oh, 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 oh. oh man as fast as i can
0: <laughs> awesome i yeah no i am i cannot wait for <laughs> any of this yeah it <laughs> sounds fascinating it, it really does that no, it, it sounds <laughs> so fat and i'm so glad that you're telling this story Right, because I, I think there's a big thing, a couple of things you said, right? It's about everyone w- sitting down with people with differing opinions to you, which yeah. I think is very important. But then yeah. I also always believe, right? You you climb up that ladder, you get to a certain place, and you turn around and help the next person up. And oh. you know, part of that yeah. is telling these stories, right? To give people because yeah. comp- people talk about, right. It's, you know, when Black Panther came out, people were like, oh, we can finally see a black hero. And that gives people something to aspire to. You know, they said Obama Mm -hmm. Obama became president and all of these things. But also it's the storytelling, right? It's telling the story of struggle, telling the story of achievement, of the things people have done. And I think it's telling this story is so impactful and it's gonna inspire so many people and just shine that light um, wait, so a black man invented french fries, a black man invented macaroni cheese right, which I, I will definitely say, right, black macaroni cheese is a lot better than the runny ass way <laughs> <stuff laughs> right? Because I hate that runny ass shit, nah, that ain't how you do it, bro. that ain't how you do it, you know what I mean so, no, that's not <laughs> how you do it <laughs> yeah so it, it, it's so interesting that you're you're telling this such an important story so man thank you for doing this
1: thank you so much for having me on and i i really uh, i'm so looking forward to sharing a pint okay (laughs) and breaking bread with you
0: Okay. <laughs> oh man yeah i i can't i can't wait there's definitely some some cooking tips i'd like to get from you man um but yeah no it, it would be just just this con- i really enjoyed this conversation and when you've got those next coming please come back and and we can talk some more man
1: Oh, I will. I will. And thank you so much for having me. And and I'm reminding everybody on Amazon
0: Prime, Ghost in America's Kitchen is streaming in the UK on November 4th. Mm, And how can they follow you, Ashbell? Well, I'm on Instagram and all of that social media stuff.
1: I am fairly clueless, but uh, they link it up. And I I have people helping me. kind of post things, but but I write the post and they post them. So um, <laughs> uh you know I'm not hiding anywhere <laughs> just just Google Chef Ashbell and you'll see that I've been working for you know the past 30, 40 years making sure that that you and your children understand that we have a stake. And mm. uh, and I'm proud of that. I'm so proud of that. So uh um definitely looking forward to coming back and I thank you again for your leadership of thought, my brother. Okay.
0: Hey, I it, it was a pleasure and I thank AJ for sorting this out because she always puts me in touch with such interesting people. So, you know, she's done it again. So thanks, AJ. Well, it's amazing. Thank,
1: well thank AJ as well.
0: It's, it's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful! Thank you. Yeah, it, it was a pleasure, man. It was a pleasure. Thank My you. My pleasure. All right, okay. you take care. All right,
1: take care. Bye
0: bye. Bye. There you go. We are done. That's it. I told you this was a you know what I mean a jumbo edition, three parts, but part two was a double you know i mean we we looked at three films in part one part two there was duality a graffiti story we spoke with the director ryan dowling and then nathan nordstrom aka sloak straight fire and you just listened to I mean, ashbell mcleven and heard about his new documentary which is out on prime video people duality is as well but yeah he's documentary james hemmings ghost in america's kitchen so so varied but so interesting you know what i mean just listen i hope you've enjoyed it all right share it with your peoples you know what i mean if you've got something to say drop me a line leave a comment all of that jazz but people i will tell you now We've got a little something special coming on Monday. So the greatness keeps coming. You know I me. Mean? And you do not want to miss Monday. Monday's gonna blow your mind, right? So um, yeah, enjoy it, enjoy it, and we will see you real soon. Hi right? peace. <music>